Have you ever gone to a bad movie? I, I mean, you're sitting there watching the movie. You, you've gone gone and paid good money. Maybe you paid 10 bucks or 12 bucks or 14 or 16, depending on where you went. You 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 bought your $6 drink and your $8 popcorn, and as you're sitting in this terrible movie, all you can think about is, I can't wait till it's over. Uh, I think it was last fall, Reed and I went to a movie with our friends Kelly and Lisa Kennedy. We, we went to the movie titled Silence. It's actually kind of, it's a, a movie about missionaries that went to Japan, Catholic missionaries that went to Japan, and uh, and it was possibly the worst movie I have ever seen in my life. We we went to a theater in Kansas City, and this was not a good fit for us. We went to a theater, I don't know, it was kind of down on Ward Parkway or somewhere down there that had reclining seats. So so we we were in these comfy recliners with our feet reclined back, and literally all four of us at one time or another fell asleep during the movie. And I remember thinking, this is terrible. I can't wait until it's done. Some of you might be thinking that here this morning. <laughs> on July 26th, I started this sermon, The Miracle on Mount Carmel. And here we are almost a month later, and we're still on the same sermon. So so some of you might be thinking, would you just get it over with already? And if that's you, I totally get it. And so so, so I give you permission to sprawl out in a pew and take a nap or get, if you're back, back chairs, just, just kind of get really comfortable. I, I, you know, no judgment here from me at all. But, but if you'll bear with me one more Sunday, uh, I think you'll see some encouraging teaching. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 18. We've been there for a while, so you should know where that is. Maybe it's, uh, your Bible flops open automatically to that. First Kings chapter 18, we're, we're talking about Elijah. And, and, uh, way back in July, we talked about how God needed Elijah to obey and that obedience requires action, uh, action to go, action to speak truth, action to trust God. We talked a lot about trusting God last week. And, and then after that, we saw the second thing is that Elijah needed Obadiah to uh, oblige. Uh, and we, we notice that Obadiah was asked by Elijah to go tell Ahab that he needed to talk to him. We see that in First uh, Kings eighteen verse eight. And so last week we saw we saw what happened when Elijah gave that message to Obadiah. The first thing was that he reacted with fear. In fact, three different times in verse nine, verse twelve, and verse fourteen, three different times. Uh, uh, Obadiah's response was, if I do that, he will kill me. If I do that, I'm going to lose my life. Uh, Ahab is going to be so ticked if I give him a message from you. Uh, but, but when that didn't seem to phase Elijah or temper his request of Obadiah, th- then Obadiah changed his tack. He reported his past uh, uh, past accomplishments. In verse 12, he, he pointed out, hey, Obed, uh, Elijah, I've served God since I was a youth. I've been active. I, I've been, uh, uh, I've been, been, uh, uh, devout in my faith since I was a youth. And, and not only that, but I hid 100 prophets, uh, from Queen Jezebel. So we finished last week, uh, and, and are going to kind of continue on in, in, uh, uh, in, in that thought, but we finished last week with this. If you have your Bibles, 1 Kings chapter 18, look at verse 
16. So, so he got scared. He feared. He said, oh, uh, if I do that, I'm going to die. And then he said, yeah, but I've done all this other stuff since I've done all this good stuff. Surely I don't have to be obedient to this, do I? Uh, and then verse 16. So Obadiah went. If you're uh, uh, the habit of underlining in your Bible, I would encourage you to, uh, if nothing else, just underline those three words. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet uh, Elijah. Somewhere somewhere between, between I'll die if you ask me to follow God's call, and I shouldn't have to because of all I've done in the past, Obadiah, and, and we finished last week's sermon with this thought, Obadiah remembered his call. He remembered, he remembered the call that God had put on his life. Now, now I'm going to ask you a question here, and, and I'm going to ask that you, you hold on to this question. Uh, will you let it kind of rattle around in your head uh, during the rest of the sermon? Will you revisit it a little bit this afternoon? Will you kind of keep it on a back burner of your consciousness for the week? Here's the question. What is my call? Obadiah was challenged by Elijah, scared him to death. He thought, no, I've, I've done plenty in the past, but, but he remembered what his call so was. So let me ask you that question. What is your call? Somehow, sometime, some way, Obadiah remembered his call. He, he put aside his fear. He pushed past his, uh, he pushed past his, uh, his past accomplishments. Uh, he pushed them out of his mind and remembered that God had a plan for his life. So, so verse 16 may be the most fundamental, important thing that you'll ever need to know about Obadiah. So Obadiah went with that one phrase. Now, let me point this out. With that one phrase, this Obadiah, there's actually, there's actually several Obadiahs in the Old Testament. One, one of the Obadiahs was a, a prophet and has his own book. Uh, one of the minor prophets. You can flip through the Old Testament and find that. Uh, different Obadiah, not the same guy. Uh, there's several Obadiahs, but with that one phrase, this Obadiah, this Obadiah. So with that phrase, Obadiah went. Now, now, now don't miss the fact that this, that, that Obadiah was impressive. He's worthy of our respect. He's worthy of our admiration and our imitation. And I know last week we kind of pointed out the negative that he reacted with fear, reported his past accomplishments. But, but the reality is what Obadiah had done from God from his youth, the fact that he had hid all those prophets and kept them safe and fed and watered them, that, that, that was no small thing. But with this one phrase, so Obadiah went, would it surprise you to find out that he then disappears from Scripture? How cool is it that the last thing said about him, how, how interesting that the last thing recorded in, in, in Holy Scripture, the last thing recorded in the Bible about Obadiah is this. So Obadiah went. Let that sink in for a moment. The last thing we know about Obadiah, nothing else is recorded 
Nothing else is reported. We don't know if Ahab got ticked later and he did kill him. We, we have, we have no idea if he stayed as the palace. We don't, we don't know anything else about him. But the last thing we know is that he was doing what God called him to do. I hope that when I die, someone will say of me, in, in, in essence, so Tim went. I, I think I've told this story before and I apologize, uh, if I have, and you remember it, but, but several years ago, I was in the home of, uh, Rafael, uh, Bersiaga Sr. and his wife, Rosa. They live in, in El Paso and, uh, minister. They're, they're Mexicans, but they actually had a home in, in El Paso and they, they, uh, minister in a, a, a Napra. Uh, Rafael was getting up in years at the time and, and, and I was at their, their home down there to take pictures for Operation, uh, a Napra that we were doing back then with Rushville and, and continue to do here at, at Troy. And, and I was sitting at their breakfast table and, and their son Armando was there. And Armando spoke a little bit of, uh, of English. So he was trying to translate, uh, for me what, uh, Raphael was saying. And Raphael said something. I, I, I watched him talk and I looked over at Armando to get the translation. And this is what Armando said. He said, my father says that he wants to die on the line. And I, I, I I kind of looked at Armando and I'm, I, my mind's kind of spinning trying to think, what does that mean? I, I want to die on the line. First thing I'm thinking, I'm like, this doesn't make sense, but he wants to die on the border. You know, he, he wants to go out on the bridge and maybe crossing back into Mexico or from Mexico back and he wants to just die right there on the bridge. Maybe, maybe somehow culturally that would be symbolic of working in both. Con- I, and, and I don't know if the confusion was on my face, but Armando, uh, said, well, said, hang on a second. And, and he had to kind of think to retranslate. He said, what, what he means is he wants to die serving God. He wants to die putting his life on the line, doing what God has called him to do. So I ask you, church, again, to contemplate that question. What is my call? Now I, excuse me, be honest. I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know that I can answer that for you. I have enough trouble answering that for myself. But, but maybe I can give you a little insight on how to come to terms with that question by looking at Obadiah and seeing what he remembered. See, what he remembered was his call, and and this is what his call was. His his call was to represent God. So, so, so if you have your Bibles there, First uh, Kings 18, look at verse 3. Verse 3 is our first introduction to Obadiah. Verse 3 says this, And Ahab had summoned Obadiah, his palace administrator. Obadiah was a devout believer in the Lord. So, so we learn quickly two different things about Obadiah. One was that he was a palace administrator. Now, now my take on that is that 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 was kind of like second in command. He was the vice president, if you will. He was the chief of staff or something like that. He worked, he worked for, uh, uh, Ahab. It also said that he was a devout believer. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand and think because it said first that he was a palace administrator, that that was the most important fact that we need to know. In fact, I think it's actually the opposite of that. He, he was mentioned, it was mentioned that he was the palace administrator first. Only because that draws that that draws a bearing on why Obadiah is in the story to begin with. If Obadiah were a, a fisherman or a shepherd or a shopkeeper, 
he he wouldn't be in the story. But he was Ahab's assistant, so we're introduced to him. Now, now here's the reality: we're we're given no details uh, uh, about Obadiah's job. How, how did he become the palace administrator? I have no idea. Did he, did he start out as a shoe shine boy and and then work his way up to a to a server and then a, a chef after that and then a, an assistant? We have no idea if he worked his way up or or how 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 he did that. We. We don't know how he performed his job. Did he do a good job? Well, I think it's probably safe to guess that that because he was second in command, that he probably did his job well. You don't end up uh, uh, in that position if you're not doing your job well. And when you work for a king that is as nasty and mean and heartless as uh, Ahab and his wife Jezebel was, you, you must be doing a good job or you wouldn't stay in that job. Is that we have... We have no idea even what that job consisted of. Uh, we pointed out last week from chapter 18 that we do know uh, when, when he ran into Elijah, he was out with Ahab looking for grass. They One went one direction, one went the other, trying to find grass in the drought-riddled uh, nation, and that's when he met Elijah. But we are given some details about his faith. We know his palace administrator, but it goes on there and says Obadiah was a devout leader. He was devout. Now, now I would hope that, that when people who know you and know that you are a Christian describe you, I would hope that they would use the modifier, they are devout. I, I, I hope people, when they talk about Wilma, says, oh, Wilma is devout. I, I, I hope when they, they talk about Bruce, they look at Bruce and they, well, that Bruce, that Bruce Westein, he is devout. When they talk about Judy, I hope they say, well, Judy, man, Judy Fumler, she is devout. See, I hope when, when people talk about us, they describe us with that same idea. See, see, it means something when you're called devout or, or a, a similar word to that. It means that you're not casual about your faith. Is it, it isn't, it isn't just a small part of your life or a, an aspect of your life. It is who you are. See, it could have been easy for Obadiah or it couldn't, couldn't have been easy for Obadiah to be a devout believer and work for, hey, uh, for Ahab. If you have your Bibles, flip back a couple chapters. Back to chapter 16. We read this a couple, uh, a couple weeks ago, but I want to, I want to just remind you of who Ahab was. Chapter 16 verses 30 through 32. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. And there were some evil kings before him. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nabat, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbael, king of the Sidians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. Ahab was a, was a bad dude, and he established Baal as the official religion of the land, but not for Obadiah. See, see I could understand. I, I could buy it if, if scripture told us that Obadiah was a secret believer. I, it, it would make sense. He's working for the king and, and, and the queen and, 
and they were serving Baal because of Jezebel, because of, of Queen Jezebel. I, I could understand if scripture said, now Obadiah was a secret believer or a closet believer or a private believer or, or he believed in principle in, in the, the theories of, of God, Jehovah. I, I could catch it if, if they said he was a believer when he was at home in the privacy of, uh, of his four walls. But that's not what it says. It says he was a devout believer. And even though that put him at odds with Queen Jezebel and had to create some, some difficult times, uh, around King Ahab, Obadiah remained devout. In essence, being devout meant that everyone, including King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, knew that his allegiance had not been given to a false god, but that his allegiance was with God, Jehovah. Do, do you want to be known as devout? Then make sure you don't fall down to any other god. Make sure you don't worship false gods. False gods like sports, entertainment, pleasure, alcohol, drugs, sex, relaxation, work, possessions, Social media, prestige. He was devout. The, but, but scripture gives us a, a second, uh, indication, a second look into, to his faith and why his faith was so important. The second detail, detail was that he was defined. He was defined by service. See, this is really what his being devout was all about. See, see, devout is good, but, but what it really doesn't mean is, well, he was just pious. He was just holier than thou. He just walked around with a big old Bible in his hands all the time. He was devout because he was defined by his willingness to serve. And even though he could have lost his job, and that actually was the least concern for him, even though he could have lost his life, he hid 100 prophets from Jezebel and then cared for them. So what defined his devotion, what defined his devoutness, not even sure if that's a word or not, but what defined his devoutness was his service. He remembered that first and foremost, he represented not Ahab, not Jezebel, certainly not Baal, not even his own family or himself. He represented God. And the second thing he remembered was he remembered to respond to God. See, why is, why is Obadiah in this story? Why, why, why do we hear about him? Even though it's for a brief time, he shows up, he's a palace administrator, so he went, nothing else about him. But why is he in this story? Because God had a plan and a purpose for him. God had a plan and a purpose for him, just like he does with you. And he responded. But, but why wasn't Obadiah a prophet? Like I said, there's later on, there's a, a prophet Obadiah that, 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 that has a book in the Old Testament. But why wasn't Obadiah a, a prophet? Isn't, isn't that a more noble position? Isn't that a more powerful position? Isn't that a more uh, influential position? Why? Why then was he not a prophet? It's because God needed him. God needed him in a position to use him. When, when I was in college, I had a classmate. Uh, I don't read it, know if you remember a guy named Steve Landis. Do you remember Steve Landis? Steve was forgettable. Um, Steve was, I, I want to be polite. I'm pretty sure he doesn't follow me, uh, on Facebook. So I don't think this will come out. 
Steve was a little bit different. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. <laughs> That's the pot calling the kettle black, right? Yeah. So, but he really was different. He, he, he was a little bit out there and just a little bit odd. And, um, and, and I had a few classes with, with Steve, not a lot. He was a year or two younger than me. I had a couple classes with him and it became obvious from the classes I did have with him that Steve fancied himself and, and thought that God was going to use him as a prophet. Now, as a preacher, not prophet's probably the wrong word there, but God was going to use him. That God was calling him to ministry. And that's, that's why he was at Ozark Christian College. Now, now I'd kind of looked at him and thought, man, I, I just don't, I don't see it, but, but, but I, it was pretty obvious that's what he wanted. And the last class that I had with Steve, uh, in fact, I think it was the last semester he was at Ozark was Greek class. And, uh, when, when we would go to Greek class, uh, every, every morning, our professor, uh, uh, Dr. Kenny Bowles would, would take role. And, and when he would say your name, you, you would respond with this. You would say an hour, 30 minutes, hour and a half, two, two and a half. Your, your response was not here, present. It was how, Many minutes or hours had you studied for Greek the night before. The expectation, believe it or not, was that you would study two hours every night for, for Greek. And, uh, and quite honestly, if you wanted to catch it, you had to about study that much. So, so, so he'd go through the role and, and, and actually I, 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 I love Greek. I did, it, it clicked with me. And, and so I usually was doing hour, hour and a half, even though I was married and had a, had a, a baby, I was still able to kick in an hour and a half, two hours a lot of times. And, but every time he came to, almost every time when he came to Steve Landis, he would say, Steve Landis, zero. The next day, Steve Landis, zero. And, and most every day we would take a, a short quiz. Just four or five questions. We, we would, we would take the quiz, just write the answers down on the paper, hand it to the guy next to you, grade it, hand it back. And then he would go basically back through the roll again and you got to give your answer. Most of the times, Steve's answer was the same as he gave when he took the roll. I, I would say a hundred percent, 95. Actually, I did several times. Uh, Steve Landis, zero. About halfway through the semester, I don't know this, but I just assume this is what happened. Brother Bowles pulled him aside and said, Steve, I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think you're going to, I don't think you need to be in Greek class. It's just not clicking. Or maybe it would click, but you actually have to study. Uh, and, and so about halfway through the semester, he dropped out of Greek and, and when we came back second semester, Steve wasn't there anymore. And I don't know, I don't know if someone pulled him aside and said, Steve, maybe, maybe you ought to be thinking about something else. But he left Ozark and went back to Oklahoma where he was from. And, and a year or so later, from what I heard, enrolled in a junior college and then went on and got a degree and, and ended up being a teacher and influencing people over and over again for Christ, not as a prophet but where God called him to be used. See, see, God doesn't call everyone to be a prophet. He didn't make Obadiah a prophet. Instead, God placed him in a position to be used. And, and you realize that God has done that over and over again. He takes his people who are devout believers, who are defined by their service and uses them for his purpose.
In, in fact, uh, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 23, uh, a, a challenge to all of us, it says this, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. And, and some of you are probably familiar with the story of Esther. Queen, queen Esther ended up being the, the, the queen and her Cousin Mordecai found out that there was a plot that would have wiped out the, the Jewish people living. And, and so Mordecai said, you need to go talk to the king about it. And, and for a second, uh, she, she was a little concerned about it because if she approached the king and he wasn't happy and he didn't hold up the scepter, she could lose her life. But this is what, this is what is said. Mordecai says to Esther in uh, Esther chapter four, starting at verse 12. He says, when Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do you, or do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your family, father's family will perish. And who knows that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. Mordecai was saying, maybe God's put you there. It's not about you being a queen. God's placed you there in that position to be used. We know the story. You should be familiar with the story of Joseph. Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers that, that, that were jealous of him. And, and he ended up in, in Pharaoh's court. In fact, he was second in the land, just like Obadiah and, and, and a famine came and his brothers came back to Egypt to try to buy some grain and Joseph recognized them and, and they were scared that Joseph was going to get even with them. But look at verse 19 of Genesis chapter 50. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. I am in the place of God. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done and the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Joseph was basically saying, God put me here for a purpose. One of the main lessons we learn from Obadiah is that God places us where he wants us. Let me ask that question again. What's your call? Maybe your call is to simply let God use you where you are. Use you where you are. God needed Elijah to obey Elijah needed Obadiah to oblige. And then Elijah gave the people an opportunity. Uh, Elijah had, and, and here's the story if you've not read ahead and read the whole story there in First uh, Kings 18. Uh, uh, Elijah told Ahab, go and get your prophets uh, of Baal and meet me on Mount Carmel. And, and we're, we're going to decide this once for all, who really is in charge. And he said, and, and he said, send send the message out all over Israel, have all of Israel show up, and we're going to decide what happened. So so they all ended up at Mount Carmel. And, and over in 1 Kings chapter 18, look at verse 20 and 21. Let's see what 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 happened when, when he gave the people an opportunity. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. Now, it's kind of sad to see the next phrase. But the people said nothing. The reality was they hesitated. They were given an opportunity. 
Elijah said, pick who you're going to follow. You're going you're to follow Baal. You're going to follow God. You, you have to decide who's going to be the Lord. Who's going to be the master? Who are you? Who are you going to serve? And, and they hesitated. Now, now I don't know when the change took place. If you read on the text, I'm not going to read the verses, but, but, but Elijah let, uh, the prophets of Baal go first. He said, here's an altar, uh, called, called to your God Baal to send fire down and destroy the altar. And, and, and he let them go first. And they, they prayed and they, they, they shouted for, for hours, almost all day long. They're trying to get their God to, to send fire down and nothing happened. So, so, so I don't know, I don't know when the change took place. I don't know, I don't know when they realized that the prophets of Baal weren't going to answer, but we see that they eventually heeded the call that was before them. If you have your Bibles, look at verse 30. Then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. They came to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took 12 stones, one from each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come saying, your, your name shall be Israel. With the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord and he dug a trench around it, large enough to hold two sheaves of seed. He arranged the wood and cut the bull into pieces and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, fill four large jars of water and pour it on the uh, on the offering and on the wood. And do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it a third time. The water ran down the altar and filled, uh, and even filled the trench. At the time of the sacrifice, the private Prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Israel, let it be known today that you are the God in Israel, that I am, and I am your servant, and have all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, Lord, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then we know that God sent fire, and it destroyed the altar, and it destroyed everything, and the water disappeared. God answered, they he did. So, as we finish a third sermon on the miracle at Mount Carmel, I don't know if you noticed or not, maybe you didn't. In three sermons, I've really not talked at all about the miracle on Mount Carmel. I, I, I never told you what it was. Now, now it's easy to guess, and you wouldn't be wrong, it would be easy to say, well, well, that's obvious. The miracle was when God sent fire down and it destroyed the altar. Uh, when, when God sent, and it just it wiped out everything. That that was the miracle, and, and indeed that was a miracle. Let's let's not let not not miss that at all. But but was that the real miracle on Mount Carmel? See, maybe the real miracle on Mount Carmel was a little bit more simple than that. It was when God said to Elijah, "Go," and he did. Or, or maybe it's when Elijah said to Obadiah, hey, go talk to Ahab. And Obadiah went. Or maybe it's when Elijah challenged the people to choose. And they did. See, the miracle on Mount Carmel is really this. And it's a miracle that you can practice in your life. The miracle on Mount Carmel is when we listen to God's call and respond. Last Saturday night, we we got home late from uh, a wedding and a trip to the hospital to see someone and back to the church to kind of 
organized a couple things and it was about 10 o'clock, 10, 15 when we got home and we just got upstairs, started to, to get ready for bed and Rita's phone rang and, and I, I was only getting one side of the conversation, but I knew something was up. I knew something wasn't good. And, and I'm, I'm thinking another, <laughs> another thing. And, and finally I heard her say, well, why don't you come over? Why, why don't you, why don't you said, I, I'm dressed. I'll meet you downstairs. Just come on over. See, a friend of ours was, was facing a difficult, difficult thing in her life. And she really was questioning, is there a God? She's not really sure that she believes, but's trying to believe. And, but if there's a God, then why did this tragedy happen in her family? And so she showed up and I know Rita felt like she didn't say all the right things. She didn't, didn't have all the right answers, but, but actually the answer was that Rita said, come over. The answer was when she said, come on, I'll, I'll talk to you and we'll walk through this. We'll talk. See, I, I don't, I don't know what God's calling you to respond to. I don't know what his call on your life is. It, it might be something small. Maybe it's something big, but, but the miracle is when we say, okay, God, I'll go. So, so maybe, maybe said of you. So Judy went. So Neil went. So Dave went. So Wilma went. Would you bow with me? Father, we pray this morning that you speak to our hearts. Make it clear what your call on our life is. Father, oftentimes we, we wait we wait for thunderclouds. We wait for a message written in the sand. We wait for a verse to just jump out and with our name in it. And, and Father, you don't oftentimes speak to us in quite those ways. But Father, your spirit sometimes just whispers quietly to our spirit, go. Father, uh, there, there are opportunities around us always. There's opportunities, Father, that you've called us to. You put us in a position to be used, Father, this morning. Help us, help us go. In Jesus' name, amen.